0: Singh Bahadur has brought Navab Vizir Khan, who mercilessly murdered the Guru’s younger sons, to justice. Sikh peasants all over the Punjab have risen and are rapidly shrugging off the Mughal yoke. The Mughal emperor Bahadur Shah, who had returned from the south, turns his attention to the Sikhs. Before we begin the episode, we have a favor to ask of you. If you find this work compelling, please be sure to rate it and write a short review. That will definitely help us get the podcast to a wider audience. I also wanted to share some exciting news with you. If you've enjoyed the rich musical offerings in our episodes, check out our new endeavor, the Gourmet Sangeet Podcast. In ode to Six sacred music, the podcast is a curated introduction to some of the finest live recordings in the genre.
1: At this time, the world emperor, having finished the campaign against Muhammad Kambaksh had reached Ajmer. The desolate peasantry of Sarand and Thanesar, deprived of their livelihood, and the Pirzadas of Sarand and Sadhora, being ruined, appeared in the imperial court and raised a human cry about the oppression they had suffered. Though the emperor's main object was to suppress and punish the mischievous Rajputs, he postponed it for another occasion and directed his attention to the destruction of this dissolution-deserving sect. With these words, Muhammad Qasim Ibrath describes... How the seed of Banda Singh Bahadur's doom was planted. In June 1710, Bahadur Shah was in Ajmer in the province of Rajasthan. During the Deccan campaign, the emperor had been betrayed by his ally Raja Jaisingh, who had abandoned his camp and allied himself with Raja Amar Singh of Udaipur, intending to resist Mughal authority. Even as Sirand was falling, The Pirzadas, scions of the exalted Sufi houses of Samana and Sudara, presented themselves in his court, carrying tales of the savagery of Bandasingh Bahadur and his Sikhs. The emperor decided that the campaign in Rajasthan could wait. As the defender of Islam, Bahadur Shah felt that it was incumbent on him to launch a jihad against the rebellious Sikhs. The governor of Delhi... Asafuddala Asad Khan was asked to mobilize an army, and the commanders of Awadh, Badur, Allahabad, and Bara were all directed to join the expedition. The commander of Firoz Khan Mewati was issued 50,000 rupees to draft irregulars, and an advance force under his command was dispatched to engage the Sikhs. To preempt desertions, Strict orders were issued that no one associated with the campaign would be allowed to visit the capital Delhi without permission. Worried about the possibility that there might be Sikhs masquerading as Hindus in the emperor's camp, an order was issued that all the Hindus shave off their beards. The officials complied without protest and were promptly rewarded with kilaths or robes of honor. Firoz Khan Mewati advanced to Panipat, where he met up with Bayazid Khan, a Pathan from Kasur, who had been appointed Fajdar or commander of Jammu. Wary of engaging the Sikhs, Bayazid Khan had been marking time, waiting for reinforcements to arrive. Mewati's orders were to destroy the forts created by the Sikhs and re-establish Mughal government. The Sikhs, oblivious of the Mughal forces converging upon them, were dispersed. The main force under Bandha Singh had just arrived from its expedition to Saharanpur and Jalalabad and was on its way to confront Shamas Khan at Sultanpur. The remaining Sikhs had been split into smaller detachments to protect the Samana, Thanesar and Sadhora. The small contingent of Sikhs, under the command of Binod Singh and Ram Singh, confronted Mewati's force at the village of Gard. The Sikhs, heavily outnumbered, were defeated in a fierce hand-to-hand fight. On 20th October 1710, the emperor received the following report, excerpted from the Akhbare Darbare Muala, translated by Dr. Bhagat Singh. Rustam Dil Khan Bahadur submitted that Firoz Khan Mivati, who had gone towards Logar and Sarand to chastise the Nanak worshippers, had a confrontation with the Sikhs between Karnal and Logard. With the grace of the Holy Prophet, he won a great victory and chopped off the heads of 300 rebels and sent them to the emperor. An order was issued that the heads be mounted on spears and be exhibited, It was ordered that wherever the heads were cut off, minars or towers be erected there. A red flag with a golden impression on it, a green apron, and images of a lion and a monkey was presented to the emperor. The bodies of the fallen six were mutilated, and several of them were strung up by their long hair on the trees by the Grand Trunk Road. 300 heads of decapitated Sikhs were loaded on carts and sent to the emperor, who was slowly making his way towards Sadora. Firoz Khan was richly rewarded and appointed Fajdar of Sarand. Bayazid Khan, meanwhile, advanced upon Sarand, which was under the command of Sukha Singh, the brother of the Sikh governor, Baj Singh. Shamas Khan, learning of the arrival of the imperial troops, also collected a horde and marched upon Sarand. Sukhasingh was killed, and the Sikhs retreated into the fort at Sarand. An entry dated November 1, 1710, in the darbar Darbare Muala, documents a letter received from Shankar Rao, the scribe attached to Firoz Khan Mewati's army, that the Thana, or police post set up by rebels at Thanesar, had been lifted, and that they had run away from there. The strong fort of Logar, Banda Singh Bahadur's capital and the seat of his power, became the refuge of the Sikhs, who left Thanesar and Sarand in the face of the advancing imperial army. The Sikhs, very aware of the impending danger, had started to make all sorts of preparations. A November 6th entry in the Akhbare e Muala, noted that Banda Singh had sent a sum of 20 million rupees to the chief of the kingdom of Sirmor for safekeeping. According to another entry dated November 14th, the emperor was informed that Banda Singh had arrived in Logar to personally lead its defense. He had dug a deep ditch around his fort and was readying for battle. Subsequent entries over the next few days documented that the villagers in the vicinity of Sadhara, upon being warned of the impending hostilities, had poisoned their wells and fled. The emperor's oldest son, Jahandar Shah, presented a map of Singh's fort, and plans were drawn up to advance upon Sadhara in four stages. The stage was set for the Battle of Logard. were entrenched in their fort, which seemed well-nigh impregnable. The emperor, flushed with jihadi zeal, accompanied by his four sons and high-ranking nobles, was planning the attack camped at Sadora. There was, however, some trepidation in the Mughal camp. Drawing upon the Dastur ul insha of Kambar Khan and the Muntagab ul-Lubab of Khafi Khan, William Irvine, author of the later Mughals, describes the mood in the Mughal encampment. The campaign which the emperor had undertaken was rendered more arduous by the nature of the country and the season of the year. It happened that much rain fell that year in December and January, and the imperialist army, largely composed of men who had served in the Deccan, and were accustomed to a much milder climate, suffered severely from the almost incessant rain and the bitterly cold wind, which blew with great force every night. Supplies were also deficient, and the muddy state of the country was an additional obstacle. The losses among the horses and cattle were very heavy, Added to these material difficulties were others of a more imaginary but hardly less potent nature. According to the popular voice, Banda was a most powerful magician. Greater even than he who made a calf to talk, he could turn a bullet from its course and could work such spells that spear and sword had little or no effect upon his followers. Owing to these idle rumors, the emperors, the nobles, and the soldiers were much disturbed in mind and disheartened. The Sikhs, on the other hand, were encouraged by the belief instilled into them by Banda that all who lost their lives in this war would be recreated at once in a higher rank of life. On December 4, 1710, Rustam Dil Khan, the Mir Tozak or Quartermaster General, was tasked with finding a forward encampment that could easily be defended. He was accompanied by the Vizier Munim Khan, khan Khanan, and his son Mahabat Khan. Also with him was Rafiushan Bahadur Shah's third son. The next day, after he had traveled about four miles. He was greeted with a volley of arrows and musket balls. While most of the Mughal soldiers fled in disarray, Rustam Dil Khan, along with 50 horsemen, stood his ground and fought back until reinforcements arrived. 1,506 were killed in the battle, and those who survived melted away into the ravines of the nearby foothills. After traveling for about two more miles, they found a suitable place for pitching the imperial tents. The vizier stayed there to guard the imperial camp, and Rustam del Khan, accompanied by Afzal Khan, advanced further and set up camp on the bank of a stream known as the Somme. The emperor, much pleased at the victory, rewarded Rustam Dil Khan with the title Ghazi Khan Rustam Jung and elevated his rank. Gamvar Khan, author of the Dastur Al-Insha who served in Rafiz Ushan's army, was present there and recorded that trays of food from the royal kitchen were sent to Munim Khan and Mahabad Khan as a mark of the emperor's approval. The emperor arrived at the advance camp on the 9th and declared that he wanted to inspect the entrenchments prepared by Banda Singh at the foothills. Prince Rafiushan was tasked with leading the reconnaissance mission and providing security. The description of the battle of Logar that follows is from Kambar Khan's eyewitness account. Next morning, the 10th of December 1710, Prince Rafiushan led out the imperial troops towards the foot of the Logar hills. A quarter of a coast in advance came the prince, leading the imperial vanguard. Raja Udayat Singh Bundela of Orcha was at the head of Zulfikar Khan's contingent, while Vazir Munim Khan, the minister, accompanied by his two sons, Mahabad Khan and Khan Zaman, bore away to the right by a route pointed out to him by men with knowledge of the locality. The most forward part of Munim Khan's force was led by Raja Sal Bundela and Islam Khan, general of artillery. Munim Khan was also supported by the troops of Hamid Uddin Khan and the contingents of the princes Azimushan and Shah. By late morning, Vizier Munim Khan's contingent, led by their local guides, came upon a group of six who had entrenched themselves at a hilltop. The vizier's force overwhelmed them with their muskets and cannons and overran their entrenchment, killing most of the defenders. By noon, they had besieged the Logar fort and a fierce battle began. By this time, the main imperial force under the command of Prince Rafiushan had made its way up the hills and was less than half a mile away from the Logar fort. There was intermittent musket fire from the fort, but it was largely ineffectual and the prince's contingent was unharmed. Zulfikar Khan, who was a rival of Wazir Munim Khan's, advised the prince to advance slowly. While the advice seemed prudent, given that they could be picked off by Sikh marksmen as they got closer to the fort, his real purpose was to avoid providing support to the vizier, whose forces had already engaged the Sikhs. The prince followed his advice and decided to take a break to eat. Gamvar Khan writes that a little after midday, As many of the imperial soldiers were at prayer, a loud explosion was heard, and smoke started billowing from the Logar fort. With a few of his comrades behind him, he mounted his horse and rode towards the fort. As they approached the fort, a cannonball whizzed past their heads and struck a nearby tamarind tree, throwing the little band into disarray. Just then they saw a group of men run past them, carrying on their backs an injured Afghan whose clothes were charred. Gambar Khan realized that they were camp followers who had entered the fort to plunder. From them he learned that the walls had been breached and a fierce fight was in progress inside the fort. Many of the Sikhs had retreated to defensive positions in the nearby hills and several of them had gone to a fort named Satara Garh seeking refuge. When Kamwar Khan made it inside the Logar fort, he saw a terrible scene. The fort was in the hands of Rohilla, Afghan, and Baloch camp followers who were systematically plundering it. They had taken many women and children prisoner and had set any baggage and heavy items they could find on fire. They were looking for cash and small items of value that they could carry with them. Some of them had accidentally set fire to the powder magazines, and many of them had perished in the explosion. Gambar Khan writes, that one heart-rending spectacle was the dead body of Saj Anand's son and those of many Mohammedan men and women slain by the Sikhs before they had taken to flight. The bodies lay half-hidden by a few stones hastily thrown over them. An officer named Mirza Rukun brought news of continued fighting— A contingent of the imperial troops under the command of Rustam Dil Khan were at the foot of a small hill upon which stood a white building in which Banda Singh Bahadur had reportedly taken refuge. According to Kamwar Khan, the Mirza added that so far as he had ascertained, the Sikh leader was seated under a particular awning on a particular hill looking on at the action and that all way of escape from that hill was cut off. The Mughals were jubilant. Banda Singh, the sorcerer who had terrorized Samana, Sarand and Saharanpur, was finally going to be captured. Raja Udayd Singh Bundela gathered a detachment of matchlock men and climbed a hill that overlooked the white building. The Sikhs took cover as a withering hail of matchlock fire began. Unbeknownst to the attackers, singh Bahadur crept to the opposite side of the hill and escaped, Melting away into the surrounding mountains, several other Sikhs followed suit, and many of them evacuated the hilltops that they had been trying to defend. Raja Udayd Singh and Vazir Munim Khan systematically went about the task of clearing the surrounding hills by attacking all the Sikh entrenchments that they could find – By the time of the evening prayer, they had either killed or chased away all the defenders except the determined few who were still in the white building on the hill. Munim Khan triumphantly sent a report to the emperor bragging about the military success of the day, he assured him that Bandasingh Bahadur was trapped and surrounded and it was only a matter of time before he was brought to the emperor in chains. Gambar Khan suggests that the vizier's enemy Zulfikar Khan knew that Bandasingh had escaped, but he deliberately misled the vizier into believing that Banda Singh was surrounded. His hope was that the vizier would incur the emperor's wrath Once he learned that Bandha Singh had escaped, having already conveyed the news of his imminent capture. The next morning, Rustam Dil Khan arrived at the royal camp triumphantly to the sound of trumpets and drums. The Sikh defenders of the white building had finally been defeated and marched behind his train in chains. The spoils that Rustam Dil Khan proudly presented to the emperor included five elephants, three cannons, 17 pieces of light artillery, and assorted items of value. The emperor, much pleased, gave him two of the elephants for his own use. A commander named Sarbara Khan was tasked with executing the dozen or so Sikhs who had been captured including a fine-looking fellow dressed in the robes of a man of importance who they thought was Banda Singh Bahadur. Much to their chagrin, they learned that the man was Gulab Singh, one of Banda Singh's faithful followers, who had dressed himself in his master's robes after his escape to trick the Mughals. Gulab Singh and his fellow Sikhs met their end with great equanimity, earning the respect of the Mughals in death. According to Kamvar Khan, Bahadur Shah's displeasure at the escape of Banda Bahadur could not be concealed, and his calm temper was disturbed to a very unusual degree. There was a stormy scene between him and the vizier. Bahadur Shah reproached him for being the cause of delay of every kind. At length, when the quarry had been driven into the net, It had, by his want of care and precaution, sprung away again, leaving no trace behind it but a little dust. It mattered not where the dog had fled to, whether he were drowned in the river or hiding in a cave in the hills. In any case, the vizier had bound himself to produce the rebel, and produce him he must. Bahadur Shah claimed the man from him, Overwhelmed with these fierce reproaches, Munim Khan left the council chamber with a hanging head and a dejected mien. His death, which followed soon after, is partly attributed to the untoward result of the campaign. On December 13, orders were sent to Fateh Chand, the Raja of Garval, and Hari Prakash, the Raja of Nahan, that Banda Singh Bahadur was to be arrested and presented to the emperor. The kingdom of Nahan was adjacent to Logar, and since that was the most likely place where Banda had fled to, the commander Hamid Khan was sent to punish the king. On December 22, Hamid Khan returned. There was no sign of Banda Singh, but he arrested Prince Bhuprakash, the son of the king of Nahan, the boy's mother sent a delegation of 30 men to plead with the emperor. They were summarily executed. The son of the Raja of Nahan, who was referred to as the Barfi Raja or the Snowy King by Muslim writers of the period, was placed in an iron cage that had been built to hold Bhanda Singh Bahadur and taken to Delhi, where he was held captive for several years. Raja Fatechand of Garhwal was more fortunate, since his kingdom was further away and not readily accessible, he was left unmolested. He was forgiven by the emperor after he had sent expensive gifts on the occasion of Muharram the following March. Kamvar Khan writes that although the principal object of the campaign, the capture of Banda, was not attained, it was not altogether fruitless. For treasure amounting to about 20 lakh or 2 million in rupees and a or gold coins was recovered by digging up the whole surface of the ground of Logar. Singh Bahadur had lost Logar, but he refused to despair. He had boldly confronted the might of the Imperial Mughal force and had survived. His confidence in the strength and endurance of the Khalsa was unshaken. Within a fortnight of leaving Logar, he had established his new headquarters in Kiratpur and had started issuing hukam namas or edicts to Sikhs in places near and far, commanding them to join him. Dr. Gunda Singh, in his work Banda Singh Bahadur, documents the content of the Hukumnama Nama that was sent to the Sikhs of Jaunpur, which happened to be in his possession. Ik Fateh darshan. This is the order of the true master who will save the entire Khalsa of Jaunpur. On seeing this edict, come to me wearing five arms. Live according to the wrath of the Khalsa. Do not abuse bhang, tobacco, opium, wine, or any other intoxicant. Commit no theft or adultery. I reiterate that he who lives by the wrath of the Khalsa will be saved. Fateh darshan was the new greeting and war cry that Banda Singh had asked the Sikhs to adopt. Over time, it was rejected and the Sikhs reverted to the more traditional Vaigurujee Khalsa Vaigurujee Fateh. Dr. Ganda Singh firmly believes that Banda, in his edicts, was referring to Guru Gobind Singh, who he represented as the true master – as opposed to other historians who have accused him of trying to portray himself as the guru. In my opinion, the confusion comes from the various Persian accounts that British writers quoted extensively. In those accounts, Banda Singh is erroneously referred to as the, quote, guru of the Sikhs. The Sikhs heeded Banda's call and flocked to him in great numbers, and very soon he was ready for his next mission we return now to Ratan singh pangu sri guru Panthprakash. prakash punjab bande jab jit lai chadheo wal dera kiratpur kiyo anandpur kachtal banda the master of punjab ready mountains now to take kiratpur was now his camp anandpur home the khalsas make now that the Punjab is mine, the hill chiefs now attack I will. Well, wishers, peace and enemies, woe, some shall starve, some shall mouths fill. So Udhar The ones that my Guru harassed, repaid in full those men will be, none guiltier than the king of Kalur, fanned the flames of war with glee. Dai Dili in Kari Pukare Patasha Bakheo in Kai Bare Likhayo Lahore Sarand Pravane Layo Charaye Sub Subbe Muslimane did the Mughals, he filled the Mughal sovereign's ear Missives to Sarandh Lahore, Mughal hordes the man brought here Thus luck forge Rehe Dare Kandhare Liki, Leio, Yehe, Mother Gar, Sahab Zade, in Dine Marvaye, in the Ne A million soldiers brought he here, pleading, Please come to my aid, Princess. Butchered because of him, the guru troubled and dismayed. behlo katal karo kalhoor, bilas pure fir loote zarur. Sapat dham sat dhur milaun, hoye sikh te rakheo karau. Kehlur, then I must put to sword, Bilaspur I have to sack. Seven kingdoms all will fall, the ones that yield I won't attack. A messenger then Banda sends, King of Kehlur, your time is nigh. Be prepared to face my wrath. Be prepared, you wretch, to die. Banda Singh Bahadur had spoken. The envy of the hill rajas had set in motion a chain of events that had caused great pain to Guru Gobind Singh. The time for a reckoning had come. Raja Bhimchand of Kalur, in whose territory Anandpur lay, had been eyeing Banda's activities with great nervousness, and he was not surprised when a messenger arrived asking him to submit. He hastily sent word to allies around Jalandhar as well as his fellow hill chiefs, who sent men to bolster the defence of his fortress at Bilaspur. Yosun Rajay Bhochal aaye, Jo aap na aaye un bajir ghalaye, Taun aaye saban mil mato Kim jiwat usko layo Neighboring king's advisers, wise in Bilaspur did arrive, confabulating, making plans. Banda, we must catch alive. Taurasayan dasay o paras <laughs> dayay, jow vay mar layi, hamay kon bataye. Kis chhal so us jeevat phadho, us pehlo, ime na his alchemy we have to seize from Banda before he dies. We must snare him with intrigue to battle him. It is unwise. Go, <audio> kahe us <plays> maro <audio> sab <cuts> kuni. ko kahe bachao uste jaan apni. ko kahe us maro medane. Gheer chaturfo mat pave jane. Some vote for a bloody end, others would like to safe, stay, slay him in battle, some say, Surrounded, he won’t get away. All the plans and confabulations came to naught as the six fell upon Bilaspur. The king of the kat do dhar kar deen, the ke of jo king jan the laye cheen.'' the in hands, the king charged, the for the hillmen none those that chose then to submit were plundered and allowed to run to Bandeji, Gal Chada Ayo, Raja Nutte, Dek Dal Gal Khada Ayo, Nutte Gal Kahayo, Perno Naha, Mare Tera Me Kalihuri Taha. Banda arrived upon a steed, stayed his mount, took in the scene, Hillmen fleeing in disarray, Dead were thirteen hundred seen in seven kingdoms spread the news, all of them they made a plea. We too are the Guru Sikh, led astray by Bhim Chandvi. Im sab mil pae, bejat hoe jo pesa de, bande ve le. With these words they did submit, acknowledge Banda as their king. Every man who bowed his head, wealth to him did Banda bring. Shocked and awed by the fall of Kehlur, the hill chiefs decided to submit to Banda Singh Bahadur. The first one to arrive bearing tribute was Raja Siddhasani of Mandi, who declared that he had always been a follower of Guru Nanak and that his capital had been blessed by Guru Gobind Singh himself. Showing a grasp of statecraft that one might not expect in a mendicant-turned-general, Banda Singh started casting about for potential allies. The men of Rajputana had always been celebrated for their fighting skills, and though many of the Rajput chiefs had allied themselves with the Mughals, Banda decided to reach out to them. The kings in the territory were part of a complicated web of relationships and alliances that were constantly shifting. Dr. Balwant Singh Telon, in his work, Banda Singh Bahadur Farsi Sroth, lists several documents discovered in Rajasthan that shed light on the events of the time. By far, the most interesting one is a letter written by the Khalsa to Raja Svai Jaisingh of Ambar, one of the most capable and respected Rajput monarchs of his time. Banda Singh Bahadur was clearly hopeful that Raja Jai Singh might be able to persuade the hill Rajas, who were also blue-blooded Rajputs like him, to shrug off the vassalage of the Mughals and join the uprising against them. Here is my translation of the letter. Fateh Darshan Sat Sri Akal Sahai O great king, refuge of chiefs and warriors, Dominant and magnificent, most exalted, glorious king of kings, leader of the highborn, may you always occupy the most glorious royal throne. Jai Singh, Takhat Singh, Bhagwan Singh, Kaur Singh, and all the Khalsa send you their Fateh Darshan with love. We want you to know that the receipt of your letter made us happy and we felt honored to receive it. Through the true Guru's grace, we are now in the vicinity of Jammu and Kehlur. Banda Singh Bahadur has commanded us to proceed to Logar to get ready to do battle at Kurukshetra after the Shera, We feel that this is the time for Your Highness to abjure the authority of the Mughals, for their time of Muslim ascendancy is coming to an end, and surely it is time for our faith to rise. We humbly request you to proceed to Jammu, and with a pure heart, reach out to the kings of this region in order to establish loving and friendly relations with them— The king of Kehlur has been restrained, and while the kings of Jaswal and Hundur are nominally with the Muslims, they have been shamed into doing the right thing and they will thus stand with us. We hope that you will write to all of these kings that they are honor bound as Kshatriya warriors to turn away from the Muslims. Your doing so will certainly persuade them all to do the right thing. O Almighty God, May the sun of greatness and glory shine eternal. Banda Singh Bahadur continued his military adventures and defeated and killed the powerful Mughal commanders Shamas Khan and Bayazid Khan. The task of bringing him to book was then given by Bahadur Shah to one of his commanders Muhammad Amin Khan Chin Bahadur as he himself made his way to Lahore. Bandar Singh and his army once again subdued the areas of Kalanor and Batala and escaped into the Jammu hills to avoid Muhammad Amin Khan. Adventures in the hill territories, Banda Singh Bahadur decided to visit the kingdom of Chamba. Radhan Singh Pangu writes that Raja Uday Singh of Chamba was very nervous upon receiving the news of Banda's impending arrival. He hastily sent his chief advisor to meet with Banda Singh to ascertain his intentions, nervous that he too would be attacked like Bhim Chand of Kehlur had been. Banda Singh assured Uday Singh's minister that he would visit Chamba as a mendicant leaving his army behind which greatly allayed the king's fears Banda chambe bhayo siyo mel raja taise vak bhayo kareyo chambe in Chamba Banda arrived, well met he was by the king, his follower the king became, showed him in Chamba everything. Tabaraje ye layo parchai, daye tahan duye byay karai, dero dayo chinai, mathar tekat tahan lukai. To his new master appeased a comely wife the king then found, and a mansion for him built, locked the faithful all around baat at bande bani raja puja ghani beta bhayo, kayo Banda's fame spread far and wide and banda did the king believe banda was blessed with a son but soon he felt he had to leave Banda saal parbat tin behiyo, dhoon dubai mal khalsa behiyo, turk nathe kit labe na paahan, neel pahari Dwabe maahan. In Chamba he spent years three, six took Dwaba dhera dhoon, Mughals fled in disarray, hills and plains, their power strewn. After spending an idyllic three years in Chamba, It was time for Buddha Singh to return to his beloved followers. The Emperor Bahadur Shah had four surviving sons at the time of the campaign against Pandasing Bahadur. His oldest son Jahandar Shah had not enjoyed his favour and was generally considered somewhat inattentive to the affairs of the empire. He had been appointed the governor of Multan, a posting of no great consequence. Azimushan, the second son, had been the governor of the distant but important provinces of Bengal and Bihar during the last years of the reign of his grandfather Aurangzeb and had not spent much time with his father. He had reunited with his father only after Bahadur Shah had seized the throne after Aurangzeb's death. Bahadur Shah had served as the governor of Kabul earlier and during those days his third son, Rafiushan had been his main advisor and his favorite. After he became emperor, his youngest son Jahanshah supplanted his brother as Bahadur Shah's favorite. By June 1711, the emperor had arrived in Lahore. Instead of staying at the fort, he set up his camp at a village named Anwala on the banks of the Ravi. His four sons set up their own encampments outside the city wall The four brothers constantly jockeyed for their father's attention, and by the end of 1711, Jahanshah, who was sickly, was once again eclipsed by his older brother Azimushan. It was clear that there would be violence among the brothers once Bahadur Shah was gone. In the later Mughals, William Irvine documents incidents that provide insight into the constant tension between the four brothers. During the emperor's last illness, Jahandar Shah and Azimushan were seated by their father's bed, the latter toying with an admiring and intricately ornamented dagger which had been lying by the pillow. This action so alarmed Jahandar Shah that, overcome by fear, he ran out of the tent barefoot, knocked his turban off at the door to the tent, and tripped over the ropes— Another time, there were rumors that Jahan Shah and Jahandar Shah had plotted with Rafiushan Shan to rob the treasure carts of Azimushan, who was by far the wealthiest of the four brothers. The furious Bahadur Shah barely managed to preempt an armed confrontation. In January 1712, Jahan Shah was attacked without provocation by a man with a drawn sword who was swiftly cut down by the prince's guards. In the last week of January 1712, the emperor took ill and stopped appearing in public. There were rumors that his brain had been affected by the illness and that he was suffering from delusions. In the last week of February, the emperor decreed that all the dogs and donkeys in his camp, as well as in Lahore, should be killed and all mendicants, fakirs, jogis, and sannyasis be expelled from the city. The end was near. Jahandar Khan had no money, and hence no troops, his force numbering no more than a hundred horsemen. He was well aware that his future was likely to be bleak. His brothers were wealthier and more powerful, and his plan after his father's death was to retreat to Multan, where, as the former governor, he felt he could muster some support. Of the four brothers, Azimushan had the most support among the powerful nobles of the Mughal court, and it was generally expected that he would seize the throne after his father's death. Anticipating his ascension, many more nobles and commanders started making overtures to the prince, promising their support, the battle of succession that was imminent and inevitable. One of these nobles, Zulfikar Khan, was rudely rebuffed when he reached out to the prince. Chafing at the insult, Zulfikar Khan gathered his troops and offered his services to Jahandar Shah. Bahadur Shah passed away on February 27, 1712, but the intrigues had begun even before he died. On the 8th of February, Jahandar Shah had visited Zulfikar Khan, now his chief advisor, to hatch a plan to take on Azimush Shan with the help of his other two brothers. An agreement was sworn on the Quran. Jahandar Shah would succeed to the Mughal throne with Zulfikar Khan as his wazir or prime minister. Rafiushan would get Kabul, Kashmir, Multan, and Bhakkar. Jahanshah would become master of the south from the Narmada River to the island of Ceylon. The plunder seized from Azimushan would be divided equally between the three brothers. Because of the influence of the wily Zulfikar Khan, men started flocking to the impecunious Jahandar standard and soon he had a force comparable to Azimushan's. The combined forces of the three brothers outnumbered Azimushan's force by almost two to one. When hostilities broke out, the combined force prevailed and Azimushan was defeated and killed. In a matter of weeks, Zulfikar Khan moved against Jahanshah and Rafiushan as well, after denying them their share of Azimushan's wealth. On March ninth, 1712, the day after the defeat of Rafiushan, Jahandar Shah, the least competent of Bahadur Shah's four sons, was proclaimed emperor. Jahandar Shah's rule was to last less than a year, incompetent and debauched, he is remembered mostly for his scandalous relationship with his consort, Lal Kuvar, a dancing girl that he elevated to the position of queen. The Sikhs exploited the unsettled times that followed Bahadur Shah's death to re-establish themselves, the Mughal general Muhammad Amin Khan, Jean Bahadur, who had been leading the effort to crush the Sikhs, returned to Lahore. The Sikhs took advantage of his absence and quickly occupied Sadhara and once again repaired the fort of Logar and established their capital there. Once again, Muhammad Amin Khan, assisted by the new Fajdar of Sindh, Zainuddin Ahmad Khan, besieged Sadhara and Logar for several months without making any significant progress. Muhammad Amin Khan Chin Bahadur was then commanded to join Jahandar Shah's campaign against Farooq Syar, the second son of Azimushan, who had rebelled, and the Sikhs were mostly left unmolested while the emperor and his nephew battled for the Mughal throne. On January 10, 1713, Jahandar Shah was defeated in the Battle of Agra by Farooq and killed after a brief incarceration by professional stranglers. Farooq whose father had seemed destined to rule, now sat on the Mughal throne. His ascension was going to cause much trouble to the Sikhs. Muyo Bahadur Shah, 117-84 so saal, Farkasir us potro, tis ko suno hawal, Died the Emperor Bahadur Shah, 1784 the year, His grandson was Farooq Siyar, Now it's time to his tale here. Farooq Siyar jab takhte behyo, Chuglan aan usay yon kahyo. Guru bande kar rakhi or Aur patashahi, Sukhahe sari, when he sat upon the throne, slanderers they filled his ear. One Bandasing created havoc. In the rest of the realm, there was no fear. Bai subanite takhe chal aave hokam shaar neko pal taave usko chadto de tadarak raho dadde tetho kam sarak twenty two lands pay tribute. And there runs the royal writ. Tame this rebel lord you must, as saw your grandfather fit. The new emperor was advised that the rebellion in Punjab continued to be a problem. The rest of the realm was in peace. All the other 22 provinces dutifully paid tribute. Punjab was the exception and the fault was Bhanda Singh Bahadur's. The emperor's grandfather Bahadur Shah had declared a jihad against the Sikh rebels, but he had passed away the task unfinished. It was now up to the new emperor Farrukhsiyar to act. After taking the Mughal throne, Farooq Sayar turned his attention to the Sikhs. Abdus Samad Khan Daler Jang was appointed the new governor of Lahore and his son Zakaria Khan, the Fajdar or commander of Jammu. The new governor was given very clear orders. Banda Singh Bahadur and his Sikhs were to be expelled from Sadhara and destroyed. When Abdus Samad Khan arrived at Sadhara, an ineffectual siege mounted by Zainuddin Ahmed Khan was still in progress. Banda Singh Bahadur himself was at Logar and his lieutenants held Sadhara. The besiegers were greatly enthused by the arrival of reinforcements and fierce fighting began again. The Sikhs were badly outnumbered and their supplies were dwindling. They decided to evacuate Sadhara And piercing the enemy lines, they escaped and joined their leader and comrades at Logar. The Mughal host made its way to Logar to begin a new siege, and as they were looking for a good place to set up camp, they sent a detachment of cavalry on a reconnaissance mission. When the horsemen reached the top of a hill to get a better view of the Sikh defenses, they saw a large body of men streaming down a hill. Bandar Singh Bahadur and his Sikhs had escaped. The Mughals discovered that the Sikhs had built 52 defensive posts, leading from the last ridge to the walls of Logar, and they nervously waited for the Sikhs to turn around and attack, as they often tended to do. However, there was no attack. A message was sent to the emperor in the month of October 1713 informing him of the capture of Sadara and Logar and the escape of Banda Singh Bahadur. Zakaria Khan, who carried the message to the emperor, was richly rewarded and elevated in rank. With the Sikhs seemingly on the run, Abdus Samad Khan and Zakaria Khan were both sent by the emperor on a campaign to Rajasthan. But after a band of Sikhs under the leadership of Jagat Singh ravaged a fortress held by Pathans, the governor of Lahore was directed to resume his campaign against the Singhs. A pitched battle was fought in Ropard when a band of 7,000 Sikhs attacked. Mughal forces from Saran successfully repulsed them and killed more than 206 before they retreated. Not much is known about Banda Singh's own activities for a year and a half after he left Logar. He was married a second time to Sahib Kaur, and a second son was born to him who was named Rajit Singh. Now we come to a controversial part in the tale. Radhan Singh Pangu and Giani Gyan Singh, Both talk of a major rift that appeared within the Sikh Panth or community at that time. According to Ratan Singh Pangu, Banda Singh's successes and particularly his slaying of renowned Mughal commanders such as Shamas Khan and Bayazid Khan caused great consternation in Delhi, prompting the emperor's advisors to adopt a new strategy. Tabdilly me kebat bhi, avat banda, dili tain, Lahore keve ave lahore, Kashmir multan teo, campe pishor. Talk of Delhi it has become, the capital banda will subdue, just as he attacked Lahore, Kashmir multan Peshawar too. Tabdur kane yo kari baathe, he sataguru ko ye ut paathe, jise kabile metum pase. Karayo hai mulke Deliberate the Mughals then Banda the Guru did create the Guru's wife, she now dwells here. Blame them for our perilous state. un unko hai Ask her now to rein him in. To stop, banda, she must not fail. Refuses if she too do this, imprison her, throw her in jail. The emperor Farooqseer, well worst in the history of his ancestors, demurred. Tabe Shah ne aisi suni nahi ye achi tum jo guni hai usko ham Hasan Shahi hume un heard the emperor their advice. Their counsel but he did not heed. To Nanak's house we owe a debt, our kingship he himself decreed. He did however feel that perhaps Mata Sundri, the late Guru's wife, might indeed be able to reign in Bhanda Singh Bahadur and he decided to reach out to her. Tab bhai Nandalal bulayo, ye Tum javow, mataji paas, hath jod yo Bhai Nandalal was summoned then Heard the emperor's counsel he Go seek out the mother now And to her address a plea Bande tumro sab kam kiyo Sahib zaden badla liyo Parbatiyan ko dai sajaye Un keeno sooo leeno paaye Banda's task it is complete Avenged have been the prince's young, hill chiefs have been punished too, into despair they have been flung. According to the Prakash of Radhan Singh Pangu, Bhai Nandalal took the emperor's request to Mata Sundari, who agreed to write to Banda Singh Bahadur, suggesting that he make peace with the Mughals. She felt, however, that Banda Singh, who commanded a great army and had tasted great success against the Mughals, would not heed her command banda singh reacted furiously upon receiving the letter bande sun kya ki baat turkan ko na jaat reading the letter banda exclaimed look at what this woman said if i fall in mughal hands i won't be spared i will be Dead. In a fit of anger he wrote back to Mata Sundari. Bande Keyo Meto Sik nahi me bairagi basano ahi hum o tumko Itano mail le patashahi ham apne khel. Banda is no more sick, Vishnu's hermit he is now, from you now he has been cleft with magic to rule his vow. Mata Sundari did not take kindly to Banda Singh's response. Bande ko khijmat dai dai patashai dai patashai panth nij, aap sache patashaha. Banda was given a task, acting like a king he's is now. Kalsas they must reign supreme to the Guru's will we bow. Jab Mata sarap kar diya byakul banda tis din te thiya, Curse she put on Bandha's head in a trice his wits had fled. This was the genesis of a deep schism between the Sikhs. Bandha's followers would be known as the Bandai Khalsa, and those who rejected him as a pretender to the Guru's throne would be known as the Tat Khalsa. Dr. Ganda Singh, who for the most part follows Ratan Singh Pangu's account faithfully, vigorously contests this version of events. According to him, the notion that Banda tried to usurp the Guru's authority and position does not stand the test of historical scrutiny based on original accounts of better-informed contemporary writers. Dr. Gunda Singh further claims that there is absolutely nothing in the official diaries, state and family histories, personal memories, etc. to show that any negotiations were carried on between Farooq and Mata Sundari, the widow of Guru Gobind Singh. Ahmad Khan, the governor of Lahore, had deeply disappointed the Emperor Farooq with his ineffectual attempts to deal with Banda Singh Bahadur. Kamuruddin Khan and several other commanders were sent to reinforce the governor in March 1715. A month later, there were reports that Banda Singh, after plundering Batala, had taken refuge at Gurdas Nangal, a small earthen fort in Kurdaspur. Aware that a large force was closing in, Banda tried to take measures. He diverted a nearby canal and other small streams to flood the area around the fort, creating a quagmire to slow down the besiegers. When the Mughal force arrived, several of the Sikhs were in neighboring villages collecting supplies for the imminent siege. Several were captured and killed, and some cut off their long hair, shaved their beards, and went into hiding. 30,000 soldiers surrounded the little fort. Abdus Samad Khan, Zakaria Khan, and Kamaruddin Khan each blockaded the fort from one side, and local commanders and zamindars who hated the Sikhs took charge of the fourth. The tense standoff continued for two months, with heavy loss of life on both sides. Tales of Banda Singh's powers of sorcery filled the Mughal soldiers with dread. A rumor spread that Banda Singh was going to turn himself into a cat or a dog to escape. The besiegers rained arrows and bullets on any cat or dog unfortunate enough to stray around their entrenchments. The situation inside the fort was dire. The Sikhs were on the point of starvation. The besiegers tried to tempt the defenders with promises of safe passage, and according to Ratan Singh Pangu, many of the estranged Tat Khalsas succumbed to the enticements and left. Weakened but determined, the last of the defenders now awaited the inevitable. Abdus Samad Khan launched his final attack. Udaro Turkana hallo kio itte sikhan liyo, Turk force dukpi dravajan mar mar huwa karvajan. From outside the Mughals charged. Sings before them, steadfast stood. The Mughals were now at the gates, screaming slaughter. Six they would. Ali Ali Uta guru guru it Ali Ali, the soldiers chanted, vaheguru was the reply, used the Mughals' weapons, all steadfast Sikhs could not get by inch by inch, the Mughals, by the force of their vastly superior numbers, advanced in batches they door assail, some beat a hasty retreat in the face of musket fire, hail of hissing arrows meet. Shamshir Nangi, Farda the Ko Hare, Do Mate, Are, Do Tarafeke, Chali, Mure, Doe, Doe, Leven, rali Naked swords they stand in hand, both sides ready to defend. Hail of bullets all around, heap of bodies, glorious end. Duan, Dhur, Mil Upon a paraio, Samajana bayo, though tarafte icataraf bayi, uha pacharna na kiski rahi. Ball of noise and dust and smoke, who's a friend and who's a foe? Khalsa's Mughals in one heap, who was who? No one would know. Pichele, ugle, ko mare, karenako, pacharna, bayanako, mare bayi. Machigyo yo kamasan rear guard attacks the van. Killed was friend or killed was foe. Brethren may have killed their own in pitched battle's blinding glow. Lotan pe pae janakin jan kin kand usaran thai, jan kar luban ko ae kou gunan pe dai gun in a heap were corpses piled of corpses there was a wall as if a merchant had arrived Wares displayed in a heap tall ghoran pe gir ghode pe jan badiyan bad birch giraye sis gire us khetan mahe jan tarbooz khet the vahe horses dead lay in a heap Felled like tree trunks tall and proud, heads were scattered all around as if a field of melons plowed. Lahuan ke tehe vagge khale, jan sin chant tehe bagge vale, rakato pirti lal so lage, jan gulal the yo sab flowing freely stream of blood. Like an orchard, watered, wet, bloody earth, it had turned red. Riot of red, their clothes had met. Lothan so mund gaye takte so By corpses, the doors were blocked. Every door, fresh painted too. No matter whither Mughals came, off-defenders faced a slew. The end was inevitable. The beleaguered Sikhs, weakened to the point of starvation, their numbers denuded, were overwhelmed by the attackers. Singh Bahadur was captured alive along with several hundred of his followers, 306 were summarily executed on the command of Abdul Samad Khan. Their heads were filled with straw and mounted on spears. The rest of the prisoners were put in fetters to be taken to Delhi. William Irvine writes that the fall of Gurdas Nangal netted very little for the Mughals. 1,000 swords, 270 shields, 173 bows and quivers, 180 matchlocks, 23 gold coins, and 600 rupees. Mughal soldiers, fearful of Bandasingh Bahadur, went to great lengths to ensure that he did not use his sorcery to escape during the journey to Delhi. Fetters were put on his feet, and a ring was attached to his neck. These were connected by pieces of wood to a chain on his back, and he was thrown into an iron cage in which he was secured to four spots. The cage was hoisted onto an elephant, and a guard sat on each side holding a dagger, ready to kill him if he tried to escape in any manner. His captured men followed on donkeys and camels with paper caps on their heads. In the front marched a body of soldiers displaying the heads of six mounted on spears, accompanied by drums and musicians. Behind the prisoners came the Mughal nobles and the Vassal Rajas, followed by their armed troops. Zagriya Khan was ordered to lead the procession from Lahore to Delhi. Feeling that the 200 or so Sikhs who had survived the carnage at Gurdas Nangal didn't really offer a large enough spectacle, Zakaria Khan ordered that more Sikhs be rounded up. Thousands of Sikh peasants were arrested and several of them were added to the ranks of the captives. Many others were executed and cartloads of heads were sent to Delhi. Banda Singh Bahadur and his men were paraded through the streets of Sarand, the town that they had sacked and the residents heaped abuse upon them. The macabre procession entered Delhi on February 26th, 1716. Present in Delhi at the time were three Englishmen, John Sermon, Edward Stephenson, and Dr. Hamilton, collectively known as the Sermon Embassy they would go on to play a significant role in giving the British East India Company a foothold in Bengal. Sermon had been sent as an ambassador to Farooq court to secure trading privileges for the East India Company. This account of Bhanda Singh Bahadur's end, which is cited in various books including Dr. Gunda Singh's, is taken verbatim from the diary of the Sernum Embassy, It appears in the work, Early Annals of the British in Bengal, Volume 2, Part 2, The Sermon Embassy, edited by C.R. Wilson. The triumphant entry of the conquerors into Delhi took place, according to the sermon diary, on February 17, 1716. The ceremony on this occasion was copied from that observed after the capture of the Maratha Sambhaji, Malice did its utmost to cover the vanquished with ridicule and shame. First came the heads of the executed Sikhs, stuffed with straw and stuck on bamboos, their long hair streaming in the wind like a veil, and along with them to show that every living creature in Gurdaspur had perished a dead cat on a pole. Banda himself, dressed out of mockery in a turban of red cloth, embroidered with gold and a heavy robe of brocade, flowered with pomegranates, sat in an iron cage, placed on the back of an elephant. Behind him stood a mail clad officer with a drawn sword, After him came the other prisoners, 740 in number, seated two and two upon camels without saddles. Each wore a high fool's cap of sheepskin and had one hand pinned to his neck between two pieces of wood. Many were also dressed in sheepskins with the woolly side turned outwards. At the end of the procession rode three great nobles Muhammad Amin Khan, sent by the emperor to bring in the prisoners, Gamuruddin Khan, his son, and Zakaria Khan, his son in law, who, also being the son of Abdus Samad Khan, had been deputed to represent his father at the ceremony. The road to the palace for several miles was lined with troops and filled with exultant crowds who mocked Banda and laughed at the grotesque appearance of his followers. They wagged their heads and pointed the finger of scorn at the poor wretches as they passed. "'Who, who, infidel dog-worshippers, your day has come!' Truly retribution follows on transgression as wheat springs from wheat and barley from barley. Yet the triumph could not have seemed quite complete. Not all the insults that their enemies had invented could rob Banda Singh and his followers of their natural dignity. Without any sign of dejection or shame, they rode on, calm, cheerful even, anxious to die the death of martyrs. Life was promised to any who would renounce their faith, but they would not prove false to their guru. And at the place of suffering, their constancy was wonderful to look at. Me, deliverer, kill me first, was the prayer which constantly rang in the ears of the executioner. There was a young man, an only son, whose widowed mother had made many supplications to the Mughal officers, declaring that her son was a Sikh prisoner and no follower of Singh. A release was granted, and she hastened to the prison house to claim her son. But the boy turned from her to meet his doom, crying, I know not this woman. What does she want with me? I am a true and loyal follower of my guru. For a whole week, the sword of the executioner did its butcher's work. Every day a hundred brave men perished, and at nightfall the headless bodies were loaded into carts, taken out of the city, and hung upon trees. It was not until June 19th that Banda himself was led out to execution, all efforts having failed to buy him off. They dressed him as on the day of his entry set him again on the elephant, and took him to the old city where the red Qutb Minar lifts its proud head of white marble over the crumbling walls of the Hindu fortress. Here they paraded him around the tomb of the late Emperor Bahadur Shah and put him to a barbarous death. First they made him dismount, placed his child in his arms, and bade him kill it, then, as he shrank f- with horror from the act, they ripped open the child before its father's eyes, thrust its quivering flesh into his mouth, and hacked him into pieces, limb by limb. Singh Bahadur's revolt had ended. The iron fort of Logar, his once-proud seat, was a smouldering ruin. It might have seemed at that time that Banda Singh Bahadur had died in vain. A new Mughal emperor sat on the throne of Delhi. The streets of Sarand, which like the rest of the Punjab, that had been ringing with the sounds of the hooves of Banda Singh Bahadur's men had fallen silent again. But the calm of re-established Mughal authority was a mirage, for the Sikhs had tasted victory and a people battered down for centuries would rise phoenix-like from the ashes of Banda Singh Bahadur's defeat.
0: Six is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of Night of the Restless Spirits, a collection of short fiction that examines the tumultuous events of 1984 from many different angles. His previous book, The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia, tells the stories of many colorful characters who populated the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh. The Story of the Six is produced by Almas Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bhai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Rag Jog on guitar by Ritom Sarkar, accompanied by Amit Kavatekar, on Tabla. Season 3 of Story of the Six is sponsored by the Chardikala Foundation, the Sani Family Foundation, and Manpreet Kaur and Ishdeep Singh. I'm co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong. Thank you for joining us.